We're in the middle of a series called The Good Life. And James is writing a letter to Jewish Christians, and he's asking a lot of them. They've endured a lot in the decades since Jesus died. Uh, as Jesus' half-brother and the leader of the church in Jerusalem, James encourages these Jewish Christian readers to persevere. However, he does not give them easy answers. In fact, the easiest thing, one of the easier things he tells them to do is to stop swearing. Look what it says. James chapter 5, verse 12. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. <clears throat> now, James is not sanctioning profanity, but in saying don't swear, he is not prohibiting the use of profanity. What it means is he's prohibiting them from swearing oaths in God's name. And evidently he remembered his older brother's teaching about oaths. Jesus saw oath-taking as dishonoring God's name. What it says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, it's written in your worship folder. Jesus teaching, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply yet your yes, let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus is talking here about the third commandment. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. And again, what this commandment is prohibiting, it's not targeting profanity. It's targeting oath-taking. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, which is a reflection of the third commandment. It says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. It's translated elsewhere. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The primary meaning of misuse the name of the Lord means to raise up Yahweh's God's name for no good. So really what it's prohibiting is saying, I swear to God. So and and kind of calling God as an accomplice relative to the fact that you have said what's true or you're going to follow through on what you say you're going to do. So kind of what the sense of swearing to God, it's this. I guarantee you that my promise is true. May Yahweh God kill me or otherwise punish me if I don't keep my promise. That's what James is prohibiting. And that's what Jesus prohibited and what James is remembering about him. There are different kinds of oaths. There were two of them. One were assertive oaths and one of them were promissory oaths. Now what an assertive oath is, they're oaths which are concerned with the past and present events and are chiefly taken in court. So do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. I do. And then you are making a assertive oath. I 
promise, I swear that the testimony that I'm about to make is true. And when it says, don't take oaths, I'm not sure that it's saying when you go into court, you're not supposed to put your hand on the Bible because it's not talking about taking oaths in more formal occasions. It's just in general, in day-to-day kind of thing. And we're going to look at why does he have such an issue with it? But that is an assertive oath. It's like, I swear to God that what I'm saying is true. Jesus said, don't do that. James is saying, don't do that. Stop swearing. And again, James asks his readers to do a lot of things that are very difficult. He says, be long-suffering. It's not something you can check off a list. It's difficult to keep. Don't grumble against each other. It's a difficult thing. But he's targeting don't swear. And in his culture, that's something that they can do. And and apparently it's important. So there are assertive oaths, but another kind of oaths are promissory oaths. An oath which promises a future activity and plays an important part, it did, in religious as well as private life. So what this oath was, I swear to God that I'm going to do what I say, what I promise I'll do. So there's two kind of oaths. I swear to God that what I said is true, and I swear to God that I'm going to do what I say I'll do. Why were youths, why were oaths used? They were used to sell arguments. So if, in fact, you might have seen The Godfather. I think it's the first film when the five families are getting together and Don Vito Corleone wants to tell the five families, don't touch Michael. He's in he's over in Italy and he's going to come back and, and what he, I won't, I won't try. Maybe I will. But that aside, let me say, I swear on the souls of my grandchildren that I will not be the one to break the peace we've made here today. (laughs) Pretty bad. But what what ends up happening, so he swears an oath, and and everybody says, oh, these are the five families. They come, and and oaths had their place. And that's really what oaths were used for. They were used to settle arguments. Uh, It says in Hebrews 6.16, men swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. And that oath put an end to the argument. They didn't know that he was going to follow through. They couldn't trust that he would keep the peace until he swore an oath. And then the leaders of the five families, they hug. Okay, he's really going to do what he says. That's what James and Jesus are putting the crosshairs on. They're saying, don't do that. Don't appeal to God. Because what you end up doing is making God an accomplice to whether you're going to or not going to follow through with it. And the best you can do if you follow through is, okay, and he swore to God and you did what you said, that's good. But most often, well, who's a promise keeper? God's the promise keeper. The promise keeper is not sitting in your chair heard somebody say, uh, survival will always trump intention. Survival will always trump intention. We might make promises, but if our survival's at stake, promises will go out the window. There's only one person who never lies. He never makes a promise and doesn't fulfill it. And that person, again, is not sitting in your chair, nor is he sitting in the chair next to you. It's God. Every promise God makes, he keeps. He doesn't make a promise that he doesn't fulfill. And so in yoking God 
to our promises, you understand what happens then. You can only go down. And what James said, don't do it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Are you going to do this? No, I swear to God. No, yeah, I'll do it. And that might make some tension because, well, how can I be sure? But rather than put an end to this tension by putting God into the picture, James says, just let a yes be yes and your no be no. The increasing frequency of oaths in the time that the Bible was written led to a decline in their power and authority. Everybody made oaths. And that's why the Greeks and the Romans, they, they did away with it. They limited the use because it didn't mean anything. So it became useless. So it wasn't very powerful. Pharisees, however, they made frequent use of oaths. And it was very important. And again, when he says, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, the way they got around that, they didn't swear by God's name because that's against the rules. So what did they do? They swore by heaven. I don't swear by God. I swear by heaven. Or they swore by earth. Or they swore by Jerusalem. And um, Jesus lumps all these together. He said, no, you don't get it. Don't swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Jesus censured the practice of using God's name in this way. Um, We can kind of grab God's name somehow sometimes, and use it as a means whereby we can get what we want. I want you to, if I wanted to get you off my back, I swear to God I'm going to do it. And it is a way to try to fast forward the elimination of tension. And we can do that with God's name. We kind of hold God's name hostage and trying to make God to do, to give us everything we want him to do or we want to have. The problem is that we look at the Bible in terms of honoring God's name. The Bible vests God's name with authority. And when we think about using God's name in a way that we can get what we want, what do we think about? Prayer. Prayer. Prayer's tough. We've all had the experience that we've tried to use prayer to get something, and sometimes you get it, and sometimes you don't. And it's it's kind of hard to, it's, prayer can be tough to figure out how to make it work, especially when we hear some promises like this. Look what it says in Matthew, Mark, excuse me, chapter 11. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. We hear a promise like this, and we wonder how to make it work. We've tried it. In fact, Samuel Clemens in the book Huckleberry Finn has a, Huck Finn is responding to Miss Watson, who taught him about prayer. And this is Huck's response. She told me to pray every day, and whatever I asked for, I would get it, but it weren't so. I tried it. Once I got a fish line, but no hooks. Weren't any good to me without hooks. I tried for the hooks three or four times, but somehow I just couldn't make it work. By and by, one day, I asked Miss Watson to try for me, but she said I was a fool. I told me why. 
I couldn't make it out, no way. I sat down one time back in the woods and had a long think about it. I says to myself, if a body can get anything they pray for, why don't Deacon Wynn get back the money he lost on pork? Why don't the widow get back her silver snuff box that was stolen? Why can't Miss Watson fat up? Now nah, I says to myself, there ain't nothing in it. Try to make prayer work. We've got a few extra channels. There's a sports and variety package that has the Big Ten Network getting ready for football this fall. So, then they give you the remote. Have you ever tried to program those remotes to TVs? You have to hold down on the button, and you're supposed to see the button blink while you're holding down on it. And so then you got this. So you got this button that you're holding, and the remote's not very big. And then they give you the paper with the codes on it. If you've ever done this thing, so you're holding this thing down, and you can't see the codes. And so you're trying to do this, and then you're trying to get the codes in so it can... How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. I see those hands. It was, and so I'm trying to make this thing work, and I couldn't, and it was a problem with mid-continent. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I don't know how to make this remote work, and it was their fault, which was very good. I was prepared to. Um, it's hard to make prayer work. It's the same way. We try to point it at God, and we click it, but stuff doesn't come back. I wonder, I wonder what I'm doing wrong. Maybe I'm putting the wrong code in, not using the right words. Maybe I should ask for something else. Hard to make it work. Um, interestingly, in the Bible, it chronicles the exploits of those who honored God's name. Hebrews 11 is the Bible Hall of Faith. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, the letter... It's just, from beginning to end, just a bunch of hall of faithers, people whose faith was meritorious. And, and you'd figure, wouldn't you, that individuals whose faith was so great, they would have a bunch of answered prayer. That's what we tend to believe, that if only we had more faith, we'd have more answered prayer, right? Listen to what it says. All these people were still in Hebrews 11:13. It's in your worship folder. Look at this verse. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. I'm reading this right. That's not the reversed standard version. I'm reading it right. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Again, these people were hollow faithers, and they did not receive the things promised. Their prayers weren't answered. What might we assume? Why weren't their prayers answered? Because they didn't have enough faith. Right? It doesn't say that. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Their faith was fine. So whatever the problem was that caused them not to receive the things promised, it wasn't a lack of faith because right up until the time that they died, their faith was working. Their faith was working. They were living by faith 
up until the point of death. Why didn't they receive the things promised? Apparently, this is biblically, sometimes we see a promise, but then we have to go somewhere else to know, is it really true that if you have faith, you can ask for anything and always get it? And apparently, that's not so, is it? not true with these individuals. They were still living by faith when they died. And so we have to understand this. Is God a liar? No, God doesn't lie. We need to understand some things about prayer. We'll talk about it this today and next week. In fact, the next three weeks, we're going to talk about prayer, praying for ourselves and, and praying for others and, and even seeking the lost. But in terms of um, prayer in general, um, the faith of these individuals was not evidenced by answered prayers. It was evidenced by three things. Well, look what it says in the passage. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And so their faith was evidenced by the fact that they welcomed. They welcomed it means that they anxiously awaited the arrival of God's promises. I've talked about this passage before, but it's the illustration that I always think of in, in Logan Airport in Boston. A long time ago when I first started to fly, yes, they had planes. <laughs> they were so, but they had it in a way that they didn't have the security measures that they used. And some of you who are older remember that you didn't have to go through those things and what you could do, you couldn't go right to the embarking point, but in Logan Airport, you could go to a place where there was a partition pretty close to when people disembarked. And so what you could do then, there was this glass partition and people getting off the plane and you would stand there at the glass partition and I remember being there and you'd try to get a place in front and and you'd be kind of looking through the partition and and then everybody was looking for their own people. So here's people, they're coming and they're disembarking and and you're looking and then then you see them and then you go, you know, know, so, so these people... They were like that with God's promises. They were looking for God's promises to disembark. They were looking to receive them. And they were waving at the promises and and anxiously waiting. And they were still waving when they died. And they never gave up waving. They never gave up waving. And that is an evidence of faith. Not only receiving, but even when you don't receive, to continue to wave, to continue to expect. And these individuals were living by faith right up until the time that they died. Their eyes on God's promises, knowing that even though I don't see the answer, I know that God doesn't lie and he will fulfill his promise. And they were believing that when they breathed their last. That's faith. Faith welcomes. Faith welcomes. It doesn't only say that they were welcome. It says that they admitted. It says they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. Aliens and strangers on the earth. I'm going to break something to you that might be troublesome. I'm sorry to have to be the one to do this. This isn't the Garden of Eden. I'm sorry. I had to say it. This is not heaven. We cannot get God to turn this into heaven. We're not going to get God to turn this into the promised land, even the Garden of Eden. Heaven does exist. 
It is a place where God's will is done. We live east of Eden. We live this side of heaven. No matter how much faith we have, we're not going to get God to turn this into something that it will never be. And what they did, they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. Aliens and strangers. This is not our home. We're just passing through. Just passing through. They welcomed God's promises. They admitted that they were aliens and the strangers on the earth. Sometimes in prayer, we want God to deck this out like heaven. Give us, give me everything I want. And he'll give us some things, but he's not going to give us everything we want because this isn't heaven. This isn't heaven. They welcomed and they admitted. And look what it says. They longed. They longed. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Do you know why we long for a better country? Because we don't have everything we want now. And if we had everything we wanted, would we long for a better country? Would we? No. You know what happens? God doesn't answer all our prayers, but that's not because he's mean. It's because this isn't heaven. And he wants to cultivate within us welcoming his promises, admitting that we're aliens and strangers on the earth. Because if we're doing those two things, we're longing for a better country, longing for a heavenly city. And that's the one that exists on the other side of the grave. You know what faith meant for these people? Faith did not allow them to get what they wanted. It allowed them not to get what they wanted. Is that right? Is that right? Faith allowed them to welcome, admit, and long to not receive the things promised, but to continue to look to God to provide them. Um, author Anne Graham Lotz, Billy Graham's daughter, in her book, Heaven, My Father's House, tells the story of Samuel Morrison. 25 years, spent 25 years doing missionary work in Africa. He returned to America on the same ocean liner that brought Teddy Roosevelt back from a hunting expedition in Africa. Upon docking, President Roosevelt was bombarded with scores of people welcoming him home from his hunting expedition. And so they saw him coming down, and there was a boat. There wasn't a glass partition, but they were waving. There he is, Teddy Roosevelt. And and everybody's clamoring and paying attention to him. Barriers and police escorts were needed to keep the masses of people from rushing on the president and mobbing him or crushing him as he was welcomed with cheering, ticker tape, confetti. And then Morrison was way back in the ocean liner. He didn't get to disembark first. And by the time he was disembarking from the boat, there was just a lot of ticker tape and confetti on the ground. There wasn't even a taxi he could hail. He kind of, there was no one to meet him. And he walked down, disembarked from the boat, and kind of thought in his mind, and he had the ability to be real. We talk about, be real. He had the ability to be real, and this is what he thought. The president was in Africa hunting for three weeks, killing animals for sport, 
and the whole world turns out to welcome him home. I've given 25 years of my life in Africa, serving you, and no one has greeted me or even knows I'm here. In his questioning heart, he didn't hear an audible voice, but it came to him, my child, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. He's since passed, and he experienced what he was looking for. So I guess what I'm saying, the reason why we have to welcome admit along, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. And you're not home yet. And faith is that which allows us to welcome his promises, to admit that we're aliens and strangers, we're not home yet, and to long for that place where we will get what we want. And again, you check in with me 100 years from now. It'll probably be less than that. <laughs> I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be disappeared. I won't cease to exist. I will exist in that place. And you can ask me at that time, are you waving promise? I'm not waving for any promises. They're all here. Mike, you feel like an alien and a stranger? No, I feel, again, like my favorite picture of heaven is, and you guys have done some fishing. You know, you, you put a fish on the water, you take a fish out of the water, and what does it do? It flaps around. And, and, and when you put that fish back in the water, what does it do? It darts off. And, and if so if you ask that fish, it's flopping around on the shore. How do you feel? You know, if the fish could talk, uh, it, it would have a hard time explaining how it feels. I, I'm feeling somewhat anxious. I'm not feeling quite like myself. I'm feeling a little bit disengaged, I'm a little bit panicky here. And you put the fish back in the water, and then you say, okay, how do you feel now? You know what the fish is not going to say? Well, what does the fish say, joyful? It's more than that, isn't it? What's the fish going to say if the fish could talk? You know what that fish feels? Alive. This is what I was meant for. Everything within me is geared for this place. You know what you're going to feel like in heaven? Alive. Strange? Absolutely not. You're going to say, this is the place that I always wanted. This is why I welcomed and admitted and longed. This was the thing that I was created for. And that'll be it. And that's what it's going to feel like. Heaven's not going to be boring. Water to a fish is boring. No, it's its element. That's what it's going to be like. Okay, that leaves us on this side of heaven. What about prayer? I mean, we are to pray. And God does answer prayers. Uh, look what it says. There's another verse, though. It doesn't say it just within the same chapter. Listen, it says the same thing. These were all commended for their faith. And again, these were Paul of Faithers. All the faith people, they were all commended for their faith. Look what it says. Yet none of them received what had been promised. It says it twice in that chapter. How can we hear Christian programming 
that indicates that you're going to get whatever you ask for in prayer right here. It's just this isn't stuttering. These people were living by faith, and none of them received what had been promised. I guess it's good news for us, for those of us who might have lost faith in prayer. It's because we have to continue to wave, but if you haven't received the answers, then I guess we're in decent company. Are we not? It doesn't mean that nothing's wrong, something's wrong with your faith. These people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. And that doesn't mean don't ask. We're supposed to ask, but it's a conversation. God is not a cosmic gift dispenser. His name is not a code to program into a thing so that you can click the button and he kind of... It's just not... That was pretty good. It's not, it's not the way it works. This is a relationship. This is a relationship. And he wants us to welcome and admit along. Um, look what it says. God has planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. God has planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. You know what this is saying? There's people that didn't receive the things promised because God sees transgenerationally. He is not just focused on you. He's not just focused on you. He sees not only you. God doesn't look at us through a narrow angle lens. He looks at us through a wide angle lens. He's not just thinking of 2014. He's thinking of 2084 if the world is going to be existing at that time. He thinks transgenerationally. And that means that he answers prayers differently. Some of you might I don't have gallbladder problems, but if I did, I'd probably stay away from onion rings. Some of you understand that. And there might be a different part of you. It might say, I would really like onion rings. You know, some of those thick onion rings, they have them at Hardee's and they have them at places. Blooming onions at, you know. And your mind might say, I would really like an onion ring. And what your gallbladder is saying, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> no. I, and we tend to believe that God is not just thinking of us. He's thinking of bigger than just us. I saw a magazine, Time, and you know what they call the current generation, among other things, the me generation. And it had somebody taking a selfie on the cover of Time. And here was the thing, me, me, me. Tom Brokaw, in his book, The Greatest Generation, said one thing that characterized the generation of World War, II gen World War II generation is the pursuit of happiness for them was not private. It wasn't just something for me or for me and my 2.5 kids. For that generation, the pursuit of happiness was not just something that appeals to me, but something that is appealing to us. It was broader than it is today. We have a tendency to think in terms of me, me, me. God doesn't think in narrow angle terms. And sometimes we don't get what we ask for because God is thinking not just of us, but of future generations. And again, there's, there's mystery in prayer. 
Um, and we'll continue to talk about that next week. Joel, come on up. We're going to sing a final song. I like the saying, though, I ran across, God is too kind to do anything cruel, too wise to make a mistake, and too deep to explain himself. Why is it that we don't always receive? There's a number of reasons. And again, I like this. God is too kind to do anything cruel, too wise to make a mistake, too deep to explain himself. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us. You do speak your name out. You want us to know you. You do things for us. You don't do everything we want. You do want us to trust you. Trust that your promises are true. You never make a promise and then don't keep it. Thanks that that's true. Even in the midst of things that we don't understand, we receive some things we don't receive others. You You tell us not to base our faith on the record of our answered prayers, but base our faith on the things that you say to us. Um, Thank you that you're good. You are too kind to be cruel. You're too deep to explain yourself. You're too wise to make a mistake. Thanks for that, that we can't trust you. Continue to help us to trust you as we welcome, admit, and long. And thank you for the place that we'll end up through faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.